This is the Endurance Church Podcast with Pastor Anthony Bass. At Endurance Church, our goal is to live well and finish strong by becoming faithful disciples of Christ. We do this through loving, disciplined, Bible-based teaching, encouragement, and care. For more information about our ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. And now, today's message. Those are actually psychopathic tendencies in God's eyes. When we... When we we want somebody to pay and be punished. We, we want fire to come out of heaven and fall on them. Remember, James and John said, God, Jesus, should we ask, should we be like um, the prophet and call forth fire? And Jesus said, you don't even know what spirit you're of in asking that question. All the time, we don't respond the right way according to the way God would respond to a scenario. And that shows our heart. God is broken when even our enemies are hurt, he's on his side. Our job, our hope is to be on his side as well, not just our own. Amen? We got a lot of scripture to read. And this is going to be, and I told my wife I would do this. Is anyone here really, really? No, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to do it myself. So we have actually 32 verses to read. I, I usually don't read this many verses, but the problem is a lot of times people have taken these, these parables out of context. Everybody knows the parable about the prodigal son, right? Anybody, everybody knows the story. Who here, and we, this is normal for visitors, so I'm not going to call you out right now. Um, it may happen later that yet is a potential, but I don't. Anybody here want to briefly give me a synopsis of the prodigal son parable? 
you know I'm not like gonna stop, right? And I, and I see you, right? This is not, I, I really do see you. Anybody, somebody brave, just really briefly. Come on, I see you coming toward, keep coming, keep coming, keep coming. All right. So Adam, give him a hand because he, he helped us. Really? Nobody wanted to do nice, this? Nice haircut, nice haircut. <laughs> shot, shot, shot. Okay, what am I doing? Sorry. Just, <laughs> <laughs> prodigal son, just give us a quick, just give us a, your explanation of the prodigal son. What happened? Prodigal son. Okay, um, well, my understanding is that the prodigal son, uh, oh, jeez, now I'm on the spot. It's hard to say. Um, dad, he had but, a dad, he had a, and he left. He asked his dad. Ba- basically, he... Two brothers, one left. I don't know this now. Oh, my gosh. Help him. Help him. Somebody help me. Clap him. Clap for him because okay. he saved you. And... Two brothers. <laughs> You're okay. You're Two good. brothers. Here. One decides he's going to squander his inheritance before dad dies. That's right. And he goes off and does all kinds of fun, well, well going to be honest. Fun, fun stuff, stuff. Fun stuff. Like, you know, he goes and parties and squanders all of his inheritance, and then he gets stuck um, kind of getting a new job with the pigs. That's right. Right? Right. And then he humbly comes back to his dad, and his dad brings him home like he has been off to the service for years. And, and, and so say that he, part again. What do you mean he brings him home like he's been off well, to the service? Well, he, he comes back, and he wants to work for his dad, and his dad's like, no, let's get you a, a big fat ring, and we'll slaughter the fatty calf, and we'll have a big party, and then the the other brother, who has worked for his dad for years and done everything right, he gets very jealous. And so he um, gets upset, and he's like, the dad's like, why are you so upset? Because you have always been here with me. Rejoice that your brother is home. Amen. Adam, do you want to add anything to it? Good job, Tammy. Anything? Okay, so that was not what I was thinking of at all. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, has anybody seen, um, I was thinking more of, there's a movie, Turk, are you in here? What movie did we go see? Heart of Man. That's what it is. Has, oh, anybody, Heart of Man. Okay, yeah, yeah. has anybody seen that? No? Okay. Well, that's what I was thinking of. And in the story, or in the movie, um, it's kind of the same thing. There's a father and son, and they're working together. And um, the movie is actually portrays uh, lust, and it, the, it kind of draws the son away. It makes him leave. And he thinks that this other island he's, that he's going to go to is going to be so much better. And he finds that when he gets there, he's just in chains and he's broken and he's just damaged beyond repair. And he finally makes his way back home and his father's just there with open arms to welcome him back. So that's what I was thinking of. Give the, the man the bravery. That was good. That was good. That's good. John Darius, do you want to sit up here, buddy? Because you kind of like scare me, like standing there like that. <laughs> I know he is. <laughs> so, and that's probably the most famous parable in, in all the Bible. We've heard it over and over. You can break it down in a variety of ways, and we can actually spend all day, maybe even a year, talking about that one parable because there's just so much information in it. However, let me actually show you why it was written. This is one parable that is boxed in by two other parables. There are three parables that Jesus tells back to back to back. And both of them, all of them, excuse me, have to do with one thing. The response of the individual when they find something that is lost. It's about the response. That's the point of the parable. That's the point of the prodigal son. The father responded how? 
He, the father saw his son, the scripture says, in the distance, and he ran to his son, which is embarrassing. In, a, in that Middle Eastern culture, that's not what happens. He, and he gave his ring to the son. This, this is a son that insulted him, wished he was dead, took his money, left home, and partied in a riotous living, as the King James says. Now, the father's response is the point that Jesus is trying to drive home. Let me, let me take us, hopefully, through a little story to get to the point. So, before Jesus tells this parable, we, we need to understand the background. Here in Luke chapter 15, verse 1, it says, it says, Then all the tax collectors and sinners drew near to him to hear him. And in verse 2, it says, And the Pharisees and the scribes complained. So the Pharisees and the scribes are complaining because the tax collectors and sinners are drawing near to God, to Jesus. They're complaining. They're looking at Jesus and they're starting to mumble, right? And, and it says this, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And that's their response, they're chiding him. They're, they're chastising him. They're ridiculing Jesus because of his behavior toward these. And I'm going to just try to make, just understand, I'm not trying to be negative, but the point of the scripture, low lives. That, that's really what's being communicated. Because in the ancient Jewish culture, it was based upon holiness or religious hierarchy. And the holier you were, the more righteous you were, or the higher you went up and the faster you went up on the social strata. So everything was based upon you knowing the law, you memorizing the law, and you living a life in front of people that made you look righteous. So Jesus is hanging around people who are the exact opposite, antithetical to how the Pharisees and Sadducees were portraying themselves and the scribes. They're looking at who Jesus is hanging with, and they're like, this guy, look at him. He's hanging around sinners. What's wrong with him? This is how these religious leaders are talking about Jesus. So now, before Jesus got here, understand, Jesus is coming from the north. The northern kingdom was the, was the kingdom that was destroyed by the Assyrians around 500 B.C., and this kingdom was, was ransacked, was obliterated. Jesus went there first, and he's coming down from the north, down to Jerusalem. And as he's walking down, he sends his disciples out before him. And his disciples go out before Jesus, and they tell them, Jesus is coming. And they were doing miracles, they were casting out demons, and they say, Jesus is coming. Now, Jesus came after his disciples to these same towns and preached the gospel of the good news of God's grace. And people were being saved. But the interesting thing is, who do you think was actually coming to Jesus? It wasn't the religious leaders. It wasn't the lawyers. It was the, the lowlifes. It was the tax collectors and sinners. The people who are in sin came out to Jesus. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. That's what's supposed to happen. Jesus didn't come for the healthy. He came for the sick. The people who are broken, who acknowledge their brokenness, are the ones who are willingly able to run to Jesus with reckless abandon. The problem is, a lot of times people think, I am so good, I don't need to go to God. 
Hence the parable about the prodigal son, right? The one son, he was home all the time. He never left. He thought he was so good that, that he shouldn't have to split any of his inheritance with his brother who left. He was self-righteous. And truthfully, being self-righteous or being a seeker itself outside of seeking for God isn't enough to make you right with God. You can't be a moral conformist. That doesn't make you right. You can try hard as you want. You'll never be right enough or good enough to be close to God. You can go on a journey of self-discovery. You discover all the stuff you want, but still, that doesn't help you get close to God. The only way you get close to God is through Jesus Christ. That's the point of this one parable. The truth is both sons were lost, except for one didn't know it. This is the point. Let me wrap it up now. I got to read a lot, Haley, so pray for me. So we're going to read actually 32 verses because all these verses are important to make the one point. Here we go. This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them. This is Jesus talking to the people who said, look at him. This man receives sinners and, 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 they're, and they're complaining like, this, look at this guy. What is he doing? This is Jesus' response. So he spoke this parable to them saying, what man of you having a hundred sheep if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, doing what? Rejoicing. His response is joy. He's rejoicing. And it says, verse 4, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. Verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends. Tell me if it's right. Tell me when it's right up there. Verse 6. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I found my lost sheet, which was lost. Is it, is it still there? Okay. Can you pass this back? All right. Seven. I say to you likewise that there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 just persons who need no repentance. So what's the point of the scripture? There's rejoicing on earth and in heaven based upon one person coming back to God. Rejoicing. Joy. Let's keep going. Verse 8. Or what woman having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp? Sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. Verse 9, and when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Once again, what's the common denominator? Rejoicing. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So we see both of them have what common denominator? Our observed repetition of the word joy. God, in both instances, is excited, is happy that these people who were lost are now saved. Verse 11. And then he said, here we go. A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. And not many days after, the 
the younger son gathered all, excuse me, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and where he wasted his possession with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. Verse 15, then he went and journeyed himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent into his fields to feed the swine. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the paws that the swan ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my fathers and hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? Listen to this long parable. I will rise and go to my father, and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. Verse 19. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. Now, if I am a young man, young woman, or a person during this day and time, at this point in this parable, you're supposed to think, oh, this young man's about to come home and his father's about to let him have it. That's what you should be thinking. That's what Jesus knows they are thinking. And he rose and came to his father. But in contrast to that, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf here and kill it. And let us eat and be merry, for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. Now, his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come. And because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. This is the oldest son. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. So understand this point. The oldest son is very disrespectful. Number one, he won't go in and celebrate with everybody else. And then look how the oldest son addresses his father. So he answered and said to his father, he doesn't say father. He says, yo. Lo. I mean, you know, it's just it's a matter of next. You know, it's yo. He's like, yo. What? Yo. These many years I've been serving you. I've never transgressed your commandment at any time. And you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you kill the fatted calf for him. He's disgusted with his dad. He's saying, Dad, you're acting, you're, you're embarrassing yourself. You're, you're, now think about it. There were only two sons, and the oldest son got two-thirds of the inheritance, meaning the youngest son left the house with one-third of the inheritance. So the father took a great hit in his financials right there, right? Like he left. So only two-thirds are left. So whose money do you think that fatted calf came out of? <laughs> All right? That's the oldest son. You're, you're burning through my dough, Dad. 
All right? And he said to him, son, you are always with me, and all that I have is yours. That's right, because you gave everything else away. So all that you have is mine. That's, that's, everything's correct that he's saying. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. And that is an indictment to the Pharisees, the religious leaders. They, like psychopaths, were angry that Jesus was talking, was fraternizing, was communicating with the lowlifes, the broken, the lost. And God's trying to say, that's the very point of me coming back. But the problem was the Pharisees and Sadducees didn't realize they too were lost. They were broken. That's the problem when we critique other people, when we judge other people. We don't realize we are just as broken. Who are we to judge somebody else's problems? We have seasons where we struggle. I'm good right now, but you may catch me next month. It may be a bad time, right? We have this unique ability to only look at other people's problems. I think Jared and I have this saying, I think I've heard it about five times before. We, we judge other people by their actions and judge ourselves by our intentions. Man, I meant to do that. Well, you give yourself a pass. But when someone else makes a mistake, you hammer them. Like Jesus came for the person being hammered. Today, the church has taken the position of judge, and that's Jesus' job. Broken people are everywhere. They're beside us right now. And how will we respond? Sometimes we go to church and we expect everybody to be perfect, and they're not. And if they're not perfect, what do we say? Oh, this ain't the church for me. You'll go somewhere else. And as soon as you get there, you know what you realize? This church ain't perfect either. Why? Because you're there. Everybody's broken. We all, we broken our entire, you know, look at your spouse. If you're, if you're married right now, I'm not, uh, this is, uh, don't, don't, no, don't, don't wink at them. Don't give them the eye. Just look at your spouse. Just say broken. See? You hear that whisper? <laughs> We're all broken. It's okay. That's why Jesus came and died. The problem is, can we give grace? Can we respond like this father? Can we give our hearts? Can we show mercy? Can we give grace to someone who we know is struggling just like us? We're all broken. We're not going to get away from that. Question is, how do we respond when God brings wholeness to somebody who's broken? And being called to be a pastor, I never expected being in a church or leading a church with people who everybody's saved. I expect everybody to be off, to struggle. Because if you tell you what, when I got saved, I struggled for years. Years. <laughs> Did I stop there? I could keep on going. I, and I still struggle today. I'm a broken man who needs God's grace. Now, I'm not saying that you're going to stay the same forever. You're going to change. We're being conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We're, we're going to change. That's the process of sanctification. But I acknowledge my brokenness, and that helps me not be so judgmental, so critical, so kind of like psychopathic toward those people who are broken, who are me. God 
is rejoicing when these broken people come to him, we should too. Oh, got a couple points and I'm done for the day. Point one, our our response to the lost being saved reveals our heart toward God. If you're around somebody who's not saved, praise God. I'm thankful I actually work in a secular job because I get to be around people who are not saved. They're not even trying to be saved. That helps me. Because if you're around people who are saved all the time, you just interact differently. You're like, well, what am I doing? Am I just encouraging people in the Lord? Am I just edifying all day? But when I'm around people who aren't saved, I know what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to reveal Jesus Christ. I'm trying to help you see Jesus in me. And, and even though that unsaved person may hurt me, even intentionally, that's okay because you know why? I know God will work through me to help them. That's why those people in your life, is somebody right now bothering you, tell me about it. I'll take care of it. I'm not, I'm not a mafia. No, I'm not that. But I'll pray that God gives you the strength to reveal himself through you to whoever it is that's bothering you. Is your spouse bothering you? Is your spouse picking on you? Talk to me about it. We'll pray on them. And pray on you too. Because I'm sure you may be bothering your spouse a little bit. It's okay. We all bother each other because sin is real. And sin breaks relationships. And the power of sin I found is not just death, but also pride is the root of it. And if you want to see a broken relationship, look for pride. When I know my wife and I are struggling... I just look for pride in my heart. I'm proud. I'll admit it. I'm so proud sometimes. Sometimes I'm so proud I say what? I'm the humblest man I know. <laughs> That's what Moses said. Well, you're not Moses. Well, so? If the king of heaven is excited over the people who acknowledge their sin and turn away from it, then how excited should we be? Remember, God is the origin of goodness. There's no goodness outside of God. There's no good above God, below. Like, goodness comes from God. Love comes from God. Like, he's the source of it in our lives, in our reality. And regardless, one day, this life will all, for us all, pass away. And at that time, the only thing that will remain is God. And this God who created all things is rejoicing when these broken people... It may be somebody who you don't like. Who's a Republican? Who's a Democrat? Who's an Independent? Who's a Libertarian? Do we have any Libertarians? I'm not calling you. I'm just trying to say all of us, right? They may be somebody politically who you don't see eye to eye with. You don't rebuke them. and You're praying for them. Like, that's the point. I see Christians fighting on Facebook like rabid Packer and Viking fans. I'm like, what are you doing? The world's seeing how you interact with other people. Is your witness still witnessing in the midst of the warfare you're fighting? Did you win the argument? Did Jesus get glory? If God is excited when a Democrat gets saved, when a Republican gets saved, are you excited? I'm trying to pickle you now. I'm just trying to say I am. Are you excited? Next point. If you want to bring joy to God, rejoice when a sinner repents. God rejoices when people come to him. Because ultimately, people are going to an eternity, either with or without God. And sadly, or in an exciting way, you may be the only person 
between them and eternal damnation. You may be the person Jesus Christ sent into their life. They may be sitting right beside you now because you have a word from God for their lives. Don't give up on people. People are broken. Learn everybody's hurting. At one time, everybody was like little Maverick who's now gone. Right? All of us were little kids. All of us were babies. All of us were in the NICU, right? Were you on the NICU or was it the... Well, no, not NICU. What's the, what's the other thing where the babies go to? Nursery. <laughs> it's in there somewhere. All of us were up in there, right? Little babies, helpless. You were helpless. Regardless, MMA fighter, it doesn't matter. You were helpless. You couldn't defend yourself. None of y'all. Fighters. They're fighters over there. Just let you know. All of you. Football players, wrestlers, University of Minnesota wrestler. You, you, were the, you couldn't give anybody a figure four leg lock? <laughs> Ric Flair, I'm sorry, reference. You couldn't help any innocent, helpless little babies. And then life happened. And we grew up. And now we don't get the same grace and protection and care from humans. But God still sees you as that baby in the nursery. Can we see life from God's eyes? Not like a psychopath like Jesus. A repenting sinner blesses the heart of God and the hearts of those that love him. If today you are still in sin, you know it, run to Jesus. He died for that. If your marriage is struggling because of sin, run to Jesus. He died for that. People may point the finger at you, laugh at you, chide you, look down at you. Regardless of what mask we wear, Jesus sees under the mask. He knows the brokenness of humanity, and he died for us. I think Billy Graham said the best marriage is two really good forgivers. Like you're married to somebody who's a sinner. It's not going to be perfect. But can you just endure hang in there don't give up are you in a relationship with someone who's a sinner who who maybe now who's a saint who's still broken like don't give up on a relationship that's what it's about it's about hanging in there (laughs) it's God's will that no killjoys will be allowed to attend his eternal party I worked hard on that one. <laughs> I don't even know what killjoy is, but I worked, I found that word, and I threw it in there, right? Because the other word was like party pooper, and I thought y'all might say, you, he put poop on the screen. I said, no, I'm not going to do that. So killjoy is the word I use. <laughs> I'm so serious. Understand there's a heaven, and there is an eternal party that's going to get started. I don't know about you, but I'm not a party guy. You me tell you how I acted in the party? This is how I did that was me. I was in the party and everybody was like talking, having fun. I was like, I don't know what to say. I can't dance. I was just do like this, look cool. But there were these other people like before the party, they would be telling everybody about the party. They'd be, they'd be in the party hype before the party. They'd be like, oh, there's a party over at Aviva's place. And everybody, yeah, they're getting hype. And they go with the music and everybody, yeah, the party. That's who God wants. God wants the people who get the party started now. 
Remember, you can get the party started early by rejoicing over salvation of the lost right now. It's a heart check time. In football, a long time ago when I played for the, the Vikings, we were winning. I'm just joking. We lost too. That's okay. <laughs> and I remember that when, when, when you saw the momentum of the game starting to shift, we, we looked like we were going to lose it, like it was getting away from us. We, we had to fight to, to change the momentum. We had to get it together. We had to come together and focus and begin to change the direction as a team. We need those people in the church today. Right now, the momentum's against us. It's against us right now. Let's be honest. The church is getting beat up. And if we don't get it together, we're going to get housed. Meaning up by 21. That's a bad term. They're going to walk away. They're going to win. We have to start fighting through joy. This has been a presentation of Endurance Church. For more about the ministry, head to endurancechurch.org. Follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash endurancechurch and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash endurancechurch.tv. Remember to live well and finish strong. I'm